Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I'm so grateful to be a part of the family of God, especially on a morning like this. This would be difficult to, to top. Uh, this is a unique privilege. And uh, the, the joy of this and the wonder of this is I, I don't think is lost on me right now. So thank you for impressing that upon me this week. How I look forward now with great delight to unfold this passage uh, for my friend and my new colleague in the ministry. I, I pray that you would come and provide the gift of illumination. Lord, we all want to grow and to be fed upon this text teach us, Lord. It's a, it's a rare instance that we can, we can spend a Sunday thinking through the leadership in the local church, what pastoral ministry means, what it requires, what it costs. Teach us, I pray, and then help us, Lord, as we welcome this brother into this pastorate. Help us to um, hold him to the vows that are, that are present here in this text and walk with him and support him in his family into the days ahead come now and accomplish all of that, we pray through the preaching of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it would be difficult for us to measure with existing technology just precisely how happy I am and how much joy um, I know right now in my heart, how full my heart is in this moment. Thirteen years ago, uh, my pastoral mentor, Lee Eklov, who serves as the lead pastor of the Village Church of Lincolnshire in Lake Forest, Illinois, he stood on this very platform and unfolded this very text for me as I sat right there um, on that good day. I was 28 years old that day. I'm 41 today, so perhaps maybe because I'm feeling nostalgic but mostly because I think I'm just persuaded, I don't know that there's any other passage in the Bible that I would want to turn to, brother, on your first day as a pastor in this church than 1 Peter 5. So I would ask everyone, if you have a Bible nearby, would you turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. If you'd like to use one of the red Bibles that are found underneath the seat in front of you, uh, today's text begins on page 1016 in those red Bibles. Page 1016, should be enough Bibles to go around. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Well, Aaron, it is my supreme joy to address you in this particular context, surrounded as you are by family, as well as by brothers and sisters in the Lord. And to address this congregation as well, my remarks are mainly pitched toward Aaron this morning, although I think everyone is going to benefit from this. Eventually, I'll get around to addressing the whole congregation toward the end. Um, so... Brother, this morning it is my extraordinary honor to take this very same charge that was delivered to me and to deliver it to you. I received this charge September 18th, 2005, and I deliver it to you in a fresh way June 3rd, 2018. Um, and I, I know that your journey to this moment as a pastor was a little bit longer than you anticipated uh, graduating out of seminary and as you know a little bit about my story so, so was mine and that's part of how I think we understand each other and get along so well so just know I longed to hear these words for, for a while before I first heard them myself Aaron as a fellow elder in this local church the church of Jesus Christ I charge you to shepherd the flock of God that is among you 
I charge you as a fellow elder in the church of Jesus Christ to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This passage before us furnishes us with the what and the how and the why of pastoral ministry. And for our purposes today, perhaps, the matter, the manner, and the motive of the care and the cure of souls. So my charge to Aaron is going to unfold in three steps as we just survey the inspired Apostle Peter's thought here. We try to follow the contours of his thinking. So let's get to it. Point number one, Aaron, give particular special attention, careful attention to the matter of your shepherding. That's point number one. Give careful attention to the matter of your shepherding. Let's take a look at 1 Peter 5, verses 1 into the first half of verse 2. 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So it's plain from the immediate context here of verse 1 that Peter's charge to shepherd the flock of God is specifically given to elders in the local church. That's evident enough. And while we won't spend a lot of time on it this morning, we are probably, wise brother, just simply to give way to it, that um, you and I aren't exactly the oldest folks in the sanctuary, right? Um, I, just for a little bit of uh, cultural context, I was born the year Star Wars came out, Okay. Um, you weren't far behind uh, the year that Return of the Jedi came out, I believe. So the simple fact of the matter is that you and I are just not the ripest apples in this barrel, right? And yet you know as well as I do that this calling of God, as well as spiritual maturity, they, they don't necessarily rise and fall with chronological age or even with age in the Lord, Uh, When Peter addresses elders here in verse 1, he's not automatically referring to those who are older. Rather, Peter is fixing our attention on an office, isn't he? A unique position of leadership within the church, a company of godly, male, servant-hearted shepherds that are given as pastors to care for the flock of God in the context of the local church. And in this passage, they're known as, as elders. That's why if you're with us today and you have served or currently serve as an elder in a local church or perhaps you wonder if this might be the future that the Lord has for you, you might want to listen closely. One of the reasons why we know that the pastoral work in the local church isn't always carried out by those who are older is the evidence that we find in Paul's pastoral letters to Timothy, right? The pastoral epistles. Uh, For example, in the letter of 1 Timothy, Paul puts this Uh, Paul puts Timothy in charge not only of appointing elders, which is significant, uh, but also to pastoral leadership in the church himself. So Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 11 and 12, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your, what? Youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Set an example. So while you are younger than many in our fellowship, I address you nevertheless as an elder, for that's who you are. I'm pretty sure I haven't told you this yet, but when I had the privilege to speak with one of your references, uh, Brian Tabb, who, for those who don't know Brian, Brian is the academic dean at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis. Uh, I asked Brian how he would characterize your ministry, and I just gave him kind of a fill-in-the-blank. I said, you know, tell me about Aaron. Aaron is a what? Uh, Aaron's a preacher. Aaron's a teacher. He's a counselor. He's a shepherd. Aaron's a what? 
And after, after kind of a purposeful pregnant pause, as Brian has wont to do, he said to me on the other end of the phone, Aaron's an elder. He's, he's an overseer. Aaron, without a doubt, bears the character qualities of elder in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1. So just as Peter exhorted the elders in the church in this passage, I now exhort you, an elder, with this sermon. And before we get to the actual exhortation, let's not miss how Peter sets it up in verse 1. Uh, what he says here is indescribably precious. Let's take a look at it. So, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now this is one of four separate times in the letter of 1 Peter that Peter pairs these things together. Sufferings on the one hand, glories on the other. Uh, The first time is in chapter 1 verse 11 where Peter's speaking of the writings of the Old Testament prophets and how they long to know more of the identity and the arrival of their Messiah. And so we read in 1 Peter 1.11 that the prophets who were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So there's one pairing. The next pairing appears in chapter 4, verse 13, where Peter's looking to encourage the saints in the midst of persecution, persecution and adversity. He writes, But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice when his glory is going to be revealed. That's, that's the second pair. Final pairing is found in 1 Peter 5.10 as he brings this letter to a close and he says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So this linking, this pairing, this partnering with suffering and glory to one another is a theme that runs thick through Peter's writing. And frankly, I'm glad that it does. Because Aaron, as you enter into pastoral ministry, this is a theme that will run thick through your life. Sufferings and glories. Indescribable pain and inexplicable pleasure. C.S. Lewis once said, there is a kind of happiness and wonder that makes you serious. He might as well have been describing pastoral ministry. There's a kind of happiness and wonder that makes you serious. That's exactly right. So if we want to see how both of these come together in one life, of course, we must look to Jesus, right? That's what Peter's doing here in this text right out of the gate in verse 1. The privilege of pastoral ministry is purchased for pastors by the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Furthermore, Peter anchors the full weight of his exhortation in clear view of the cross that was and the crown that is to come. You see that here? All pastoral ministry unfolds between the cross and the crown. And here in this moment, in the midst midst of the mist that is your life, God's word calls you to shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. Now, there's a little word play that would be helpful for all of us to see. Um, Peter's um, enjoying his language at this point as he's talking to the church. And so in verse 2, so far as I'm aware, this doesn't come across in any English translation, but the word for shepherd and the word for flock, they're built in the same uh, Greek root in the original. And so Peter's exhortation sounded something like this to the first century believers. Shepherd the sheep of God. 
or pasture those, pastor those of God's pasture. That would have hit all of their ears at the same time. And it's at this point where we're brought face to face with the central task of our calling, and that would be, that would be shepherding. A handful of years ago, a wonderful author by the name of Timothy Whitmer, Dr. Timothy Whitmer, wrote one of the finest books on eldership that I'm aware of. It's called The Shepherd Leader. I see you nodding. probably know it. Um, in the book, Whitmer breaks shepherding down into a four memorable fourfold calling. He says a shepherd ought to know the sheep, ought to feed the sheep, ought to lead the sheep, and ought to protect the sheep. Know, feed, lead, protect. That's what it means to be a shepherd. So let's just take each one briefly in turn as we apply this point. First, knowing the sheep. Aaron, you've already been doing that these last two weeks. In fact, you and Jenny both. Your heart for God's people is so transparently genuine. Um, One of my great delights over these last two weeks is I have welcomed Aaron and Jenny into the building. In fact, I didn't even beat you to the building this morning. You got here before me. Um, Was that I, I saw you at the beginning and then I didn't see you. And then I saw you at the end when we turned off the lights and we locked the doors and we left together. And the reason I didn't see Aaron, because he was up to his eyeballs in pastoral ministry. He didn't need one word from me to hit the ground running. He just got to know the sheep. Hmm. In the days ahead, we will get more systematic about it as we begin the work of working through the entire congregation together before the end of the year. But just know you're already doing this. You're learning names. You're hearing stories. You're asking questions. You're drawing people out. Aaron, you are shepherding. So be encouraged, my friend, that your work has already begun. Shepherding involves knowing the sheep. It couldn't start anywhere else. But secondly, shepherding involves feeding the sheep, doesn't it? Feeding the sheep. I realize that your title around here is is associate pastor, but don't let that fool you. I don't regard you as a junior partner in the ministry, okay? You are my colleague. You're my peer. And we will feed this flock alongside the other elders, shoulder to shoulder, as we preach and teach and disciple and counsel this congregation. And by the way, now that I've mentioned counseling, you also need to understand the extraordinary provision that I believe you are to me and to this fellowship in this season in the life of our church together. For a number of years now, as a number of you know, we have been chasing the vision of the Harbor Center for Biblical Counseling, a desire to see a biblical counseling center exist within this local church given as a gift to the West Tonka area where we will offer counseling to um, people in need. And over the years, we have been enlisting and equipping the counselors We've been thinking through systems and policies and procedures and legal protection, and I'll tell you the truth, my brain is about to break, Aaron, okay? I, I can't lead the counseling center. I didn't come here to lead a counseling center. Now, I will happily counsel alongside you, along with a number of gifted men and women in this fellowship, but this ministry is going to launch, brother, and you're going to lead the counseling center into the years ahead. And as we look to you to shepherd God's flock and feed the sheep and to lead us, to become increasingly rich and wise in the care and the cure of souls. This is no small part of your job description. You're going to be a counselor among us. Third, shepherding involves leading the sheep. Leading the sheep. Now, I'm going to hold this exhortation mainly to point number two, but I, I will say this about leadership. Leadership, I mainly think of as a pastor, is just leading by example, just looking at your life. But there's one thing I might say about leadership, and it's this. 
Um, your family has arrived at our church about three and a half years into what we call our 2020 vision. So you're on the downhill slide of the 2020 vision. In one sense, it's quite clear to me, we couldn't have called you if, apart from the 2020 vision. I don't think that would have been in the cards for us. Um, at the same time, it's also plain to me that we're not going to complete the goals of our 2020 vision without you here. So you've arrived just in time. Um, but I'll tell you what, standing as we are about a year and a half into our um, 2020 vision, and a year and a half until we cast the vision for 2025, you've come at the right time. Uh, a part of how you will shepherd our flock into the years ahead will be related to raising up leaders into the next decade as you will focus and help us focus on positioning the Harbor Center for Biblical Counseling not just as a gift to the community, but a gift to the region as a regional training center for biblical counseling and biblical counselors, as well as helping us to think through what church planting looks like in the days ahead, something that this, this old church has never done in the 75 years of our existence, something that you know a little bit about. So it involves leading the sheep. Finally, shepherding involves protecting the sheep. Protecting the sheep. We all know this. The local church is a body. It's the bride of Jesus Christ. And because she is the bride of Jesus Christ, she is obviously a prime target of the evil one. Isn't that true? This church knows that in its years past. Satan was ultimately unsuccessful in defeating Christ and his ministry on earth, and so he turns his attention to Jesus' most precious possession, his own bride, his own body on the earth. Satan ripping apart the church is, is Satan's attempt to kill the Son of God in effigy as he rips apart a body. And an enormous part of our job as pastors is to see that that doesn't happen, but to secure the unity of the flock. Because when pastors fail to protect the church, she stands vulnerable. She's exposed to doctrinal deception, to toxic internal conflict. And in the words of Jesus in Revelation 2, 5, we have the risk of our lampstand being removed altogether. It happens, and it's happened to churches. You know that it has. So Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And if we would be good shepherds, we would follow his lead and do likewise. So, as a fellow elder in the church of Jesus Christ, I charge you to shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight. And the first way that you're going to do this is to give careful attention to the matter of your shepherding. Second point is the how. Give careful attention to the manner of your shepherding. From the matter of shepherding to the manner of shepherding. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 together. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And so if you look at this passage, as we all think through this, Peter first addresses the what of pastoral ministry, doesn't he, in the first two and a half verses. Now he's going to shift gears and begin to talk about the how of pastoral ministry and the way that we're called to go about shepherding. And this is a big deal to the Lord, and so it ought to be a big deal to us. You'll notice in the second half of verse 2 into verse 3, Peter issues three not-but commands. Everybody see that there? Not but, not but, not but. Let's take a look at each of them. First, he says in verse 2 that our pastoral ministry, our oversight of souls, ought not to be under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. You know, it's, uh, it's a great grief to me personally um, that there have been times over the, my course of my pastoral ministry in this church, I've been so zealous to see guys come into the eldership 
I have made it practically impossible for some guys to say no. Um, and I'm not proud of that. Um, I don't mean that I've ever actually threatened anyone into the eldership. It hasn't gotten that bad. But I've been so desperate um, that I've laid it on pretty thick and uh, made it seem like, you know, God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. And I just want to let you know that each of the times that that's happened, that has backfired horribly, horribly, with dear, dear friends in this fellowship. And so you just have to know, I've learned my lesson. That's never happening again. Um, there's a reason that Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Okay, those, those are the first qualifications for eldership, to aspire to it, to desire it. In my early days in this church, I didn't give enough weight to those verbs, aspire and desire. So that's important. It is mission critical that we who lead the church, along with the other elders here, don't do so under any compulsion. Reflecting on this verse in 1 Peter, in his commentary, uh, Wayne Grudem cautions elders not doing the job simply out of obligation or because someone has to do it, but rather because the elder has freely and willingly chosen to carry out this valuable work. Amen. So a thousand amens to that. Peter says that our work ought not to be under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. So Peter's solution to begrudging pastoral ministry in this first not but is also the same solution you'll notice uh, for pastors who, who struggle with money-grubbing pastoral ministry in the second not but. So let's take a look at that. Um, at the tail end of verse 2, Peter says that we ought not to pursue pastoral ministry for shameful gain, but eagerly shameful gain. Uh, the King James, I think, takes the cake on this particular translation when it cautions vocational elders against the pursuit of filthy lucre. Filthy lucre. Memorable way to say it. Or the NIV just says it so plainly. Don't be greedy for money. Don't be greedy for money. I'm not going to do that. You not do that. Um, it may not seem like a very relevant caution. I think especially in our circles, given how aware we are and how tightly wound we are about the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. That's just not our team. That's not who we are as a church. Um, but I, I don't think it has to be that you're, you're, you're appealing to your congregation for a $60 million jet in order to um, come up short of this qualification. I, I heard, once heard Ray Ortland say, if you are a pastor, God has bent down and kissed you. If you are a pastor, God has bent down and and kissed you. I have found that to be true. And while it's true that the laborer is worthy his hire, we need to be sensitive to the subtle desire, if left unchecked, that desire becomes a demand for more. And you know that that's idolatry. When a desire becomes a demand, we have an idol on our hands. And while neither one of us is going to get rich doing this gig, um, it's very possible in our fitting commitment, you know, to see our families well provided for, and that's an appropriate instinct that each of us has, um, this is where we need to be careful. Because I think right around budget time, we can begin to wonder if the congregation really knows how valuable we are, right? Um, that's where we need to be careful. A living wage is one thing, but greedy for gain, that is, that is conduct unbecoming a pastor. So what's the solution? You know the solution. Peter gives it in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God willingly, eagerly. Aren't those wonderful adverbs? You displayed this desire to me sitting in our family room a couple of Saturdays ago 
when you spoke of happy pastors. Happy pastors, exactly. God has bent down and kissed us. And so to tweak the lyrics of an old uh, preschool song, if you're happy and you know it, your shepherding should surely show it. I want to encourage you to pursue this work of God willingly, eagerly, as a bona fide Christian hedonist, as God would have you. Okay, final caution. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Aaron, you are such an extraordinarily tender and gracious soul. This seems like uh, an entirely inappropriate and maybe impossible uh, exhortation that I should even lay upon you because this seems so far from who you are. But I'll bet this is a struggle for you from time to time. And if not yet, as a pastor, it will be. Um, when he was preaching my installation on this very point, Lee Eklov put it this way, and by the way, I keep Lee's manuscript on my desk, and it's been there for 13 years on this sermon. He, wrote, he, he said this, Most of the time, when we're trying to get something done, people are pretty cooperative. But once in a while, you'd think you were herding cats instead of sheep. And a whip and a goad seem like a good idea. Another temptation is to take advantage of the respect that people pay to their pastors by being demanding or demeaning or wielding guilt trips and power plays. And I'll never forget, he looked me right in the eye and he pointed a finger in my face and he said, that's no way for a shepherd to behave. Leading by example is certainly not the fastest way to get things done. And there's no guarantee that if you set a good example, everyone else will follow. But it is the way of the Lord. Okay, close quote. I agree. Lee spoke those words over me 13 years ago, and they are just as true today. So let's not, let's not domineer over people in our charge. I, I've learned long ago that you just you catch more flies with honey. Be an example, be stable, be winsome, do the right thing, and let the chips fall. People will follow. So as a fellow elder in this church, I charge you to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Give attention to the manner of your shepherding. Okay, one final point. Give attention to the motive for your shepherding. Give attention to the motive for your shepherding. Verse 4 is easily, in my opinion, the most exquisite gem in this treasure chest. So let's, let's linger here, even if, if briefly. 1 Peter 5.4, the apostle writes, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It's interesting to note that the word senior pastor that phrase, it appears in the Bible once, right here. And it's clear enough from this context, chief shepherd, that that's Jesus. Which is persuasive enough to me that when it comes to titles, this is just one I refuse to accept and have for a long time. Now, I know plenty of guys for whom this is not a stumbling block, and that's, that's fine to each his own. But in the Bible, and thus in my thinking, there's one and only one chief shepherd, one senior pastor. Call me whatever you want. Call me pastor. Call me lead pastor. Call me Dave. But senior pastor is a title that I gladly leave vacant over this church until he returns. And just know he will sooner than we think. By the way, Aaron, did you notice how subtly and how effortlessly Peter's eschatology emerges here in verse 4, also in verse 1? Not just Peter, but Paul and James and John, the authors of the New Testament, all write with the same dialect, the dialect of expectation. 
We saw it up in verse 1. Peter speaks of himself as a partaker in the glory that is what? That is to be revealed. And he does it again here in verse 4 when he points to, uh, to elders to when the chief shepherd appears. This is why the study of end times is so personally precious to me, and I make little to no apology for it. Eschatology is not a distraction from pastoral ministry. It's the destination of pastoral ministry. Even John Calvin, though he never wrote a commentary on the book of Revelation, did manage to say this about verse 4. Listen to this. Except pastors retain this end in view, the return of the chief shepherd, it can by no means be that they will be in good earnest to proceed in the course of their calling. Pastors often have to do with ungrateful men from whom they will receive an unworthy reward. Long and great labors are often in vain. Satan sometimes prevails in his wicked devices. Lest then the faithful servant of Christ should be broken down, there is for him one and only one remedy. I love it. To turn his eyes to the coming of Christ. (laughs) Man. So may I encourage you to make this the motive of your shepherding. One day, and the Bible tells us, it's going to be soon. Soon. Jesus will return. The chief shepherd will appear. You preach your last sermon. You'll give your last counseling session. And Jesus will return. And he'll even fit you with what Peter calls the unfading crown of glory, which you will in turn fling at his blessed feet the true senior pastor of the flock. Amen? Now, if I may, before we close, a brief word to our members. Not just a brief word, but a brief charge to all of us. A charge to the members of Mount Evangelical Free Church. The charge properly begins and ends in verse 5. You see it there? But its application extends clear to the end of verse 11. So verse 5 addresses you who are younger. You who are younger. And I hope you see that Peter's not just talking about the youth group here, right? It's inclusive of the youth group, but it's inclusive of a whole lot more. Peter uses the term younger below a bit like he uses the term elder above. Age is variable here. In fact, Jesus uses this same word for younger in Luke 22, 26, irrespective of age, to speak of those who place themselves under authority. And so the first sentence of verse 5 is a charge to the membership of Mount Evangelical Free Church. The second sentence in verse 5 is inclusive of everyone in the local church, elders as well as church members. So let's, let's listen and take on board Peter's exhortations to all of us in view of all that he's already said about the nature of pastoral ministry. So starting in verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, y'all, the membership, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves all of you with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, this pastor included, right? Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
So allow me just to summarize and offer a, a concluding application charge to, to all of us. Aaron, as a, as a fellow elder in this local church, I charge you to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Give careful attention to the matter of your shepherding, to the manner of your shepherding, and to the motive for your shepherding. In Mount Evangelical Free Church, I charge you to willingly and joyfully place yourselves under the authority and the care of this shepherd elder, this pastor in this local church. Friends, I've known a lot of pastors over the years, I have, but I would be hard-pressed to imagine a man more well-equipped, more uniquely suited, more wonderfully gifted, and frankly, tailor-made for this role in the life of this season of this church than Aaron Geis. God is smiling on our church right now. He's prospering our church. I hope you can see that. And I am full of faith toward God's good plans for our fellowship on this day and into the days ahead. And in view of all of God's good blessings and kindnesses that he's been showing us, in view of all of that, let's clothe ourselves. You see, Peter says we should do this ourselves. No one will do this for us. Verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of us, in a happy, holy humility toward one another. For the glory of Christ and for the joy and edification of one another as well as for the ingathering of all of Christ's sheep in the West Tonka area, in the broader Twin Cities, and around the world. We have lots to look forward to. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you. Um, the word that just comes to mind is honor. What an honor, what an honor to preach this sermon. So I pray for this brother. I thank you for Aaron. Thank you for Jenny. Thank you for Eleanor. Thank you for Aaron's family that could be here today and the friends. On this good day, on this third day of June, we stand at the brand new, the outset of a brand new season in the life of this church. Lord, summer in the West Tonka area, this is a good place to be. May we go with full tilt into the days ahead. Thank you for your care over our fellowship. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Ultimately, you're the chief shepherd. We look to you for all of our help and all of our hope. Um, Lord, uh, hold Aaron fast. Hold him up. Um, make him durable and powerful into the days ahead. Grant him to know the, the shoulders that he's standing on in this moment as he thinks about those who've been influential in his life and ultimately the task that he takes up. Lord, may we support him in it and move forward toward the chief shepherd whose appearance we trust will be soon. Help us to be a church that as a result of this day more effectively is a church that seeks to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ as we chase our 2020 vision. In Jesus' name, amen.